Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. And this morning, we have as our guest, Laura Vogel. Good morning, Laura. Good morning, Vernon. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for being on. Uh, thank you for taking out the time to come on. And you are a senior advisor for NRECA Political Affairs. What is that? <laughs> That's correct. Um, yeah, so I spend a majority of my time taking the co-op message around the country to um, electric cooperative members um, to talk about the importance of engagement and advocacy and, of course, voting. And I, I spend most of my time working with a, a percentage of our membership, and I have two colleagues that actually do the same roles as I do. So that's that's a little bit about what we do. Yeah. So you have three people going around the U.S. So this must be really important for NRECA to spend money for staff and travel, go around and talk to your members about voting, about the political process. Yeah, it's it's actually it's a really great thing that they do believe that this is so important that we do spend time engaging with our membership in this way and and making sure that all of our members you know, regardless of, of where they are, um, that they understand that they play a part in um, democracy in general, whether it's going to the polls on Election Day, but also engaging with their elected officials and, and making sure that our members and citizens in general uh, know that they can have a, a say in that political process and engaging with elected officials. OK, so you keep talking about your members. Tell me what NRECA is. Sure. So NRECA, um, we represent America's electric cooperatives. The the um, acronym is actually the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association. It's a little bit of a mouthful. But yeah, so we provide electricity to our members um, and, and we serve actually 56% of our nation's land mass. And um, we also provide electricity to 42 million members around the country in 48 states. So we don't have cooperatives in um, Connecticut or Massachusetts, but every other state in the country, we do have at least one cooperative. And um, we also serve 88% of all counties in the United States. And um, one of those things that is especially important is that we also serve 92% of persistent poverty counties. And those are the counties where people um, are, you know, consistently struggling with their bills on a, on a monthly basis. And, you know, one of the mantras of America's electric cooperatives is that we maintain uh, affordable and reliable electricity for all of our members. Affordable and reliable electricity. Mm -hmm. Okay. To all of your members. And that's 42 million people. 42 yes. million people, That's 42 correct. million households. 
42 million people. So that's not necessarily households because you, you could have more than one person in a household, but 42 million people in the United States. Okay. And I might add, we also have about 72,000 employees around the country that work for an electric cooperative. And so um, those, those folks as well um, are working in the communities that they serve. 72,000 employees serving 42 million people, 88% of the counties you touch in some kind of way. But more importantly, you're dealing with folks, rural counties, for the most part, at least mm-hmm. all of them started out rural in, what, 1930? In, yeah, in the 1930s, yes. Okay. Uh, FDR was the president? That the is Great correct. Recession? It was part of the New Deal. Okay. So the New Deal was creating co-ops for rural counties in the U.S. Now, I used to live in Prince George's County, and they have a, a rural electric co-op there. But I didn't know it when I was paying the bill. I just got an electric bill and paid it. I did not know it was a rural electric when I was paying that bill. So Prince George's County is not considered rural anymore, just like <laughs> Fairfax County is not considered rural anymore. That's true. Uh, yes. And they're served by rural electric co-ops, those counties in some kind of way. I don't know what percentage of Prince George's County this this rural electric co-op serves, but it did serve my house. Okay. So started out rural, but now it also could be urban counties uh, for rural that electric. That is true, yes. They were rural in 1930s, but they may mm-hmm. not be rural today. Okay, 42 yes. million people. That's a pretty good number of people that you serve were in those households, that, that little round thing, that meter that that checks how much electricity you're using, uh-huh. you all provide the electricity to those to those meters. Okay. That's correct. All right. So that's National Rural Electric Cooperative Association. So when you talk about who are members to the National Rural Electric Co-op? So our members are anyone that lives in the communities that the cooperative would serve um, and co-op lines. And so those members are um, part of, of the electric cooperative mostly because they live in that community and there's no other way they can receive their electricity. And so the cooperative has stepped in in those rural communities like we just discussed to provide electricity in those communities. And so basically by the act of receiving your electricity in some of those rural areas, these folks are um, members of the cooperative and and so they can kind of help direct um, the course of, of the cooperative and, you know, that's one of the cooperative principles is the Democratic member control. Principle two, I think. Yes. Yes. So what I'm getting to, though, is, well, let me ask it this way. How many rural electric co-ops are there in the U.S.? How many businesses? Um, yeah. So we we have just about, um, for our organization, we have just about 900 electric cooperative members um, that are members of NRECA. And um, I think there's a handful of other electric cooperatives out there that may not be um, members of, of our organization, but that doesn't mean that they're not an electric cooperative. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, as, as far as we know, there's at least 900 of them um, and probably more. And those 900, if that was the total universe, it may be more, serve 42 million people. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have 900 businesses that were set up in the 30s and under the New Deal when 
the PEPCOs or larger utilities would not go into rural areas and provide electricity. Uh, the government stepped in and said, these folks need electricity too. And so they have to provide monies to create these companies to provide the electricity. Do I, do I have that history right? Yeah, so um, you're exactly right. Um, you know, the large electricity providers were really only able to provide electricity in the in the large urban areas, and it just wasn't financially viable for them to go out to the rural communities. And so uh, uh, folks, you know, came together and, and banded together and put a little bit of money in and said, we're just, we're going to do this ourselves. And then they started to advocate for themselves as well, you know, through you know, the president at the time in the New Deal. And that's kind of how the Rural Electrification Administration came about so that they were able to receive more funding to continue the, to build out the electric cooperative structure around the country. So I think you were kind to capitalistic businesses by saying it was not financially viable. They were not able to do it. I have it that capitalistic businesses only go to places that provide them the greatest return on investment. So the rural counties with few people would not have provided them a good enough rate of return, could have even lost money. So they would not go to provide that service. And this is when co-ops is one of the reasons that co-ops step in is where the products and services are not provided by those larger capitalistic businesses. And so people band together, like in this rural electrification, and create the co-ops that provide the products or services that are needed. Uh -huh. One of the pluses for co-ops and one of the reasons I like co-ops. Okay, so they came together in the 30s. Now I want to switch a little bit to, like, how, how did you get into this business? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, so personally, me, um, you know, I always had sort of an interest in the political process. And um, when I came out of college, um, we won't talk about how long ago that was. Um, I decided that I did want to live in um, in Washington, D.C. And, and figure out a way to be involved politically, but not actually, you know, running for office or working for a you know, a political candidate. I sure did my time there as well, but I really wanted to work more on issues um, and, and see if there was a way that I could figure out how to engage others in the political process as well. So that was kind of the start. I've now been with NRECA for um, just over eight years and, you know, continue to work to engage our membership in ways that will benefit them and the communities that they live in. You wanted to come to D.C., so from where? Where did you grow up, and where did you go to college? And Okay. Yeah, I grew up the south side of Chicago, just north of the city, and I went to college in Ohio, southwest Ohio. I went to Miami University, where actually this, the city itself of Oxford isn't um, served directly by an electric cooperative, but Butler Rural Electric Cooperative in Butler County is right there um, next to where I went to college. So I, you know, I did know a little bit about the rural communities there. And then, you know, a few years I, I worked in another industry and then decided I wanted to come to Washington. And so I came to Washington to get, um, I got a master's degree in political management and um, the rest is kind of history. I've been here ever since. <laughs> kind of history. Okay. <laughs> so I'm trying not to talk about 
age here. So I'll just say that you are a young person. I'm 75. I'll be 75 in October. So you're a young person. You still have a lot of life ahead of you. <laughs> and influencing people to get involved in the political process seems like learning what you're learning and doing what you're doing. You have a lot of room to to navigate this world. So you mentioned the second principle of cooperation is one member, one vote. And it is a part of of what makes co-ops co-ops and what makes co-ops successful is that it's democratic control. Uh, it's that second principle. And that sort of fits into this voting thing, too. So let's talk about the voting thing. Uh, what are you doing? Or just tell me what is voter.coop. Okay. So vote.coop is actually our website um, that provides uh, tools and services to our members to make sure that they can be engaged and ready to vote for each and every election. It's, it's part of our larger co-ops vote program, and it's a nonpartisan program, and um, we don't encourage anybody to um be partisan in any way. We don't endorse candidates, um, but we really do want to spend time making sure that they can choose the candidates that best serve their communities. Okay, so we're going to come back and talk more about vote.coop and what it is and how you can get involved with it. Laura, I'm so glad that you're on this morning. I, I have fun with your smile and your energy already, youthful smile and energy already. We'll be right back, everybody, to talk about voting and the importance of it this election coming up on November 8th. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks in the program of Everything.coa. <laughs> and... We have Laura Vogel on today, and we're talking about Vote.coa. If you want to go and listen to previous shows, and Laura was on once before a couple of years ago, you could go to everything.coop, www.everything.coop, to listen to over 300 shows that we've had, Laura, now we're into our ninth year. This October, we celebrate our ninth year. But we want I want to talk to you a little bit more about Vote.coop. Um, why did NRECA start this vote.coop? Yes. So, you know, part of the co-ops vote program back in late 2015, um, we were doing some research and we found that voter turnout in rural communities was declining at a faster rate than it was in urban communities. So voter turnout was declining overall, for sure. But in these rural communities, it was declining so much faster. And we thought that we could really make an impact um, just given that we do have such a large membership and we serve so much of the nation's landmass that w we figured out a way to get involved and start encouraging our members to go to the polls. And so that's how Co-op's Vote was born um, in 2016. Um, we had our first uh, run at it in the presidential election, and it was pretty exciting. And, you know, we've had an opportunity since then. And that's what I don't do math. That was six years ago. So now we are in 2022 and we've had a chance to kind of grow and change the program and and really start to target our program to, you know, ensure that our members are registered to vote, that they understand the issues that they face in their communities, that they understand that their communities are different than, say, an urban community. And each community is actually different as well. And so making sure that they have elected officials 
that are representing them, whether it's at the state level, federal level, even in, in you know, their city councils um, to make sure that those those elected officials understand the, the issues that they face. And so it kind of turned more into not only going to the polls each and every election day and not only making sure that they're registered to vote, but making sure that they then have an opportunity to engage with those candidates and elected officials to to speak about the the issues um, and, and things that matter to their communities. And so from there, we had vote.coop, um, which is our website. Anyone can go and and utilize it. We just changed it up this year. So we have a brand new website. It's much easier to navigate. But part of that website actually does have a link to voter registration information. So a person can get information about how to register to vote. They can even check to make sure that their voter registration status is still valid. Um, they can also go find out where their polling place is. Um, and, and find out who and what is on the ballot in their community. So we provide all of that as a service to our members, but to really anybody who finds their way to vote.coop and wants to utilize it. So you just go to vote, V-O-T-E dot C-O-O-P, and mm-hmm. voila, it comes up. It's our it's voice. It's yep. our voice. It's what it says. Okay. So what I did was I, earlier, right before we got on, I went into, are you ready to vote? And then somewhere it asked me, was I registered? And I, I said, I don't know. I did know, but I wanted to see what it would say. And uh-huh. it came up. It told me to put my name and address in and zip code and all of that stuff in. And it came back and said, yes, you're registered in, in Washington, D.C. And yeah. the election has come up on November the 8th. So it told me I was registered to vote and you can you can can you register on here if you're not registered? Yeah. So if you if it were to come back and say, oh, yeah, looks like um, your address isn't matching or we don't have you registered at this address, then you would get a link to click that would take you to the registrar information page so that you could update your information. Or if you're a first time registrant, then you could go through the process there. Okay. pretty handy. So you can register to vote right here. Yep. Okay, vote.coop. You can go in and you can register. You can see if you're registered. And so then I just clicked on to see who the candidates are, and it says for U.S. Representative Eleanor Holmes Norton, Bruce Majors, Lino Shasusi, and Nelson Ryan Snyder. So there's four Uh people running for the U.S. Representative in D.C., and Attorney General is one person running. Okay. Mm-hmm. Type of can any candidates, incumbents, challenges. Okay. So it's a it's a handy tool. And then it's got who is elected officials. It's got Eleanor Norton, Mayor Obiser is the mayor, and it's got this city council at large. Mm-hmm. Wow. How do you get what the issues are? Well, so we um you know for electric cooperatives, we actually have um, a, a different area that we would provide the issues that are um, important to the electric cooperatives to allow people to educate themselves there um, as well. And then kind of just determine, you know, by engaging with candidates of who they think would best represent them, 
and their communities based on uh, the understanding of those issues. So, you know, I think for electric cooperatives, you know, we, we have obviously broadband is a, is, a, is a continuing issue and making sure that every community has access to reliable broadband. And, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, using that as an example, that our members understand what we're doing to provide, you know, accessibility to broadband um, and engaging in a conversation about accessibility to broadband. And so um, understanding that and then, you know, again, having that conversation with elected officials and candidates to find out who would best represent their communities as they continue that conversation. And again, just using broadband as an example um, for one of the issues that we've been actively working. So it seems like broadband is a big one to be able to get on Wi-Fi, particularly COVID has brought it out a lot that um, to go to your doctor, it's it's on Wi-Fi. It's uh, either on the telephone or Wi-Fi if you want them to see your ankle if it's swollen or something, uh, having broadband for that. And then the children going to school, schools are closed, and then they have to have Wi-Fi. And then a lot of rural communities didn't have the broadband so that they could have these services. So that turns mm-hmm. out that COVID shows that's a much bigger issue than we, we knew of prior to it. I guess people living in rural areas knew how big an issue it is that they couldn't get broadband, but there was a much bigger need through mm-hmm. COVID. So tell me one more time how what you do to help people to understand this is an issue or how they can select their candidates or even look at the candidates to see who mm-hmm. it will help to provide broadband. So, you know, we have, uh, again, either on vote.coop, we have a list of a link that would take us to our issues that um, we are actively working. And so people can read more information there. And then if they utilize the tool that you just went through to find who is running for a variety of, of offices. And then, you know, what what I do also and, and what my colleagues work on is then encouraging our members to to have conversations with once they find those candidates, whether it's going to a candidate town hall or a candidate meet and greet, or or even if it's um, somebody who's currently serving in an elected role of you know making a phone call and and asking to speak with somebody about the issues that they care about, whether it's broadband or something else, and 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 really asking them you know what are you doing to help my community. Um, with regards to issue X. And, and I think a lot of people don't understand or sometimes maybe even afraid to make a phone call to an elected official and, and try to have that conversation. But in reality, these elected officials, they're just, they're just like us um, and they want to hear from their constituents and they want to talk about the issues and they want to understand the challenges that the communities that they are representing, those challenges that they're facing. And so it kind of all comes together, right? Voting is just the first step to that relationship. Voting is the first step to the relationship with the candidate. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what's right there is what's the second step. But um, talking to them, meeting with yeah. them, okay, and letting them know what issues are important to you and finding out what they are going to do to help with that particular issue. And right now we took one that's, not politically charged broadband. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> we could take some others like guns or our women's health, 
but broadband and education, affordable, safe housing, those are those three are just really just right at the core of of what it means to be an American uh, to have affordable, safe housing and being educated. So we're going to take our next break, Laura. And when we come back, I, there's so much I want to talk to you about, uh, and it's really connecting this co-op movement, the co-op, what a co-op is and how it functions to voting uh, on a national level, but how voting works with inside of a co-op, and it's one of the cores of cooperation in terms of the principles. So we'll be right back and bridge that gap between co-ops and voting for your candidates. Please don't touch that dial. 1450 WOL. Welcome back, everybody. The program is Everything Co-Ops. Here we talk about the cooperative movement in the United States, the cooperative brand. Um, and now we're talking about the rural electric co-ops and their, and their focus on getting people out to vote. Laura, I told you we've been on the air now almost nine years. This October will be nine years. The National Cooperative Bank has supported us in every way possible uh, financially and just our main cheerleader to help us to understand this cooperative world and introduce us to people throughout this co-op world that we've been able to talk with and engage with. And NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial-related services. And those low-income communities are those 92% of counties that are in persistent poverty that are members that you all serve. Uh, uh, Do you know how much NCB and NRECA have worked together? I'm afraid I'm not too familiar with with that. Um, I do know that NCB exists and I know that they do excellent things. I actually know more about NCBA, NCB's relationship with NCBA, the Cooperative Business Association, um, versus um, NRECA. So unfortunately, I don't have um, information about that. So I do know that Chuck Snyder, the past president of NCB, and Martin Lowry, the past uh, uh, I guess he was an executive vice president of NCRA, yes. were closest, closest of buddies, and they collaborated a lot on issues in the U.S., and particular issues as they related to the cooperative community. So in those two personalities, there was a tremendous bonding and, and uh, mutual respect and growth. But I'm not sure either about the two institutions of NCB and NRECA. There seems to be a lot of room for collaboration and the six principles of co-ops supporting co-ops and working together Mm -hmm. so we were talking about the second principle of cooperation that's democratic control democratic and that's one member one vote do you know how this voter you talked a little bit about it of of how the voter.coop came about i guess i'm i'm interested in nreca looking out over the horizon and looking at these communities that are poverty-stricken and they're poverty-stricken for 30 years or more and saying, we've got to do something about this and let's see how we can get politicians that would bring in broadband or bring in transportation or help with education and help with jobs and so forth to help these communities. 
How do you see this voter.coop helping with all of that? That's a great question. And actually, I feel like for these communities, um, especially these persistent poverty communities and, and people that are really struggling just every day to have the, the basic needs, these are the people that really, really need to engage and go to the polls and vote. And by doing so, they're using their voice to engage with their elected officials and with their candidates. And by doing that, they then have educated elected officials that are representing them at um, whether it's in the state house or whether it's on Capitol Hill here in Washington to advocate for them in another way by getting that funding for these communities, by being able to bring back funding for broadband or for health care or for um, transportation projects, um, education, all of that really comes back to these people ensuring that they exercise their civic duty. And the more people that go to vote, the more these elected officials will hear what these issues are and what are, are, mat are mattering to their communities. And I, I can't say it enough that when you go to vote, you start to actively engage with an elected official, but you also become an advocate for your community. And so by utilizing like vote.coop, the, the, the tool that we have available is, is a great first step, especially for somebody who says, you know, maybe it is somebody who's never voted before, but has decided um, hopefully by listening to our show and being so inclined to go vote for the first time. So they can go to vote.coop and find all that information and it's, find out that it's not as scary as, as they think it might be and that it's actually a very simple process and in such a powerful way to um, make sure that your, your voice is heard and on behalf of your community. And so pretty much anybody anywhere can, can go to vote.coop and utilize these tools. You don't have to be a member of a co-op to go to vote.coop and no. use these tools. Just go to vote.coop and look up if you're registered or not, where you're registered, who are the candidates and for, for what positions. Okay. So I, I, I get really excited when you say that in 1915, or 2015, in 2015, you all saw that the trends were downhill for people in rural communities voting, that they were mm -hmm. less people going in rural communities to vote than others. The, the downtown trend was all over, but it was bigger in rural communities. And you're saying that if in these rural communities, your voice definitely needs to be heard. You need to, you need to elect the candidates that hear your voice and will provide the services that the rural counties need. It's like, it's very interesting that poor people don't vote or rural communities don't vote and they have the needs perhaps more than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I think we also, you know, it, this is an, a little bit of an aside, but making sure that voting is accessible to all of those people, whether it's providing them, you know, a few hours off to go to the polls to to vote or providing, you know, um, 
we've heard of organizations that provide free rides to the polls on election day so that somebody can get to go vote. And, you know, we hear from students, young people that might even be afraid to ask, you know, they work at, at you know, McDonald's or at the local mall um, at a clothing store or whatever it might be. And they might be afraid to ask for a little bit of extra time to go um, vote. And, and so we hear all of these different kinds of stories, too. Um, and seeing how we can assist with that as well is really important, is making sure that every American, every, every eligible voter who wants to go to the polls should be able to do so. And so you kind of touched on that. There are people in, you know, these, you know, persistent poverty counties and whatnot may not have the accessibility to get to the polls. And so finding ways to help them do that, too, um, is extremely important. And electing politicians that will help find ways or put the polling places close to where they live so that they can get to the polling place, whether that's a school or a church or community center wherever some a polling place that's close by. Yes, mm-hmm. as opposed to I've, I've read some places where they'll make the polling places five or ten miles away from mm-hmm. where the, the center of population might be. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. I'll, I'll add, too, that you know one of the other things that we do have available on vote.coop when they're looking for their voter information, if they go back to their registrar's um, website that we can link them to, they can also find out information about absentee voting or, um, you know, voting by mail, which is all, you know, becoming, you know, I know that there are challenges there, but that's just another way to educate people that perhaps if they can't go to the polls on Election Day, they may have an opportunity to vote early or send it in by mail. Um, so that's all stuff that we're, we're helping to educate people on as well. So I was I am in California right now. I was looking on this, and this last day to request an absentee ballot is October 24th, okay? The last day to register is October the 18th. This is District of Columbia right now. And early voting starts, it goes from October 24th to November the 4th. So all of this information is right there on voter.coop. And I can apply for an absentee ballot. It tells me how I can uh, apply. Yeah. So, yeah, this is wonderful. Yeah. And, and you know, we just we want to make sure as many people who want to go to the polls and, and want to vote have that opportunity. Voters, election workers, community and outreach candidates, elections, ballot measures about us. What's the NVRA? Um, the oh, NVRD? Is the that, National um, Voter Registration they. Act. Act. Oh, the National Voter Registration Act. I'm not familiar with that. I mean, I know a little bit about how to go make sure that you can register to vote and and find out if you're eligible to vote. And that, you know, is something that I actually work on through the National Voter Registration Day people. Um, and that's uh, one day each year that we set aside. It's actually a national holiday to encourage people to check their voter registration and update it if they need to, and also have those first-time voters to register as well. And so, you know, spending time making sure that they know that they can register to vote and and maybe finding out a little bit more about, you know, especially young people, first-time voters, might be a little confused um, about um, when and um, how they can register to vote. And so, you know, we can work 
with them through National Voter Registration Day. But also there's some great other resources out there through some of the other partners, whether it's um, Can I Vote, which is the National Association of Secretaries of State, offer information, especially, again, for young people. Sometimes they can be as young as 16 and start that pre-registration process. So there's a lot of information out there, and there's a lot of different organizations that are, are doing this service as well and providing all of it and ensuring that it's correct and reliable. Okay. On your webpage, the first time I've seen NVRA, and it's talking about Bill Clinton signed this in law in 1993, that when you apply for a driver's license, you can also apply to vote. Mm -hmm. All kinds of different ways of helping, just what you're talking about, all kinds of different ways of helping somebody to register to vote and understand about the voting and getting out to vote, making voting Mm -hmm. easier. It seemed like to me that, I don't know, I'm simple that once you turn voting age that you can vote period the registration goes away everything else goes away you just come in with your driver's license or passport or whatever showing your age and you vote i I don't it seems like it could be a lot lot simpler than we make it what do you think about that you're kind of it's music to my ears um i know there are some other you know rules about you know incarcerated individuals and things like that with voting and there are more more states now, and, and I don't know it off the top of my head, but I can say there are more states that um, are offering same-day registration. So someone who has a valid driver's license or other ID can go to the polls and, um, you know, register right there and then vote at the same time. And so perhaps that's something that, you know, is the wave of the future as well in, in making sure that, you know, these people have that access if they didn't understand that they needed to register ahead of time. Yeah, I mean, it's all about making it as easy as possible. And I have it. I'm on the side of even though you're incarcerated, should not be taking away your voter rights. You still ought to be able to vote if you're an American citizen. That's me, but that's not everybody, but that's me. Should take that away. Yeah. Okay, so I get so excited about voting, and I've got to tell you that I didn't vote until maybe I was 28 because I didn't see where my vote counted. I didn't think it would count. And I talked to young people that are there now, and I kind of get that and understand that. Uh, we're going to take our last break, but I'm going to come back and, and talk some more about because I'm passionate about voting now, particularly for those underserved communities that need the voice, need the voice in, on Capitol Hill and whatever. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. WOL, where information is power. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and we're back on to talk about, we're talking to Laura Vogel, who's the senior advisor for NRECA's Political Affairs, and we've been talking about voting, particularly their webpage of www vote.coop where you can go on and just get a lot of information about whether you're registered or not or who are your candidates in your particular area who's running and we've been talking about uh, the issues what they might be and I was telling Laura uh, during the break that I have a, a very good friend she's about 25 years old and she's educated with a, a bachelor's degree and very very smart and just kept saying to me that her vote didn't matter 
and no matter what I said, I could not convince her that her vote matters. And I, I could understand because I was there when I was her age. I was right there, too, with that belief that it just it just doesn't matter. What do you think about that, Laura? Oh, it breaks my heart. You know, so I grew up in a family that, um, you know, I my parents used to take me to to go vote when they would go when they would go vote when I was a little kid. And so I do wonder if some of that is instilled in you based on um, your parents. And, and I wonder if that actually goes back to, again, that we were talking about earlier, the communities that you live in and the ability to go vote. But also, you know, there are stories out there I hear all the time. Every election cycle, these votes are these candidates are losing or winning by a handful of votes. I mean, I think you might be familiar even with the Montgomery County race this this cycle it was a um primary race and um they had to do i think they're still doing a recount because it's so close and i just wonder if more people realize that their votes actually do count and that they actually do make a difference you know i think i'd rather hear about elections where it's just a a blowout you know one way or the other where it's a decisive victory and and that's because people are turning out to the polls and I mean, I, I'm not going to bore your listeners with all of those stories of different um, of different um, elections that could have turned the tide one way or another. But, um, you know, I I hope that she'll change her mind. Maybe once she gets that bug, goes to the polls one time, maybe she does it reluctantly, but maybe just seeing the process in action might help. So in my family, come election day, there was a busyness, uh, more busyness than going to church on Sunday, where my grandparents and my parents all went to the polls, and it was a big issue. They didn't take us with them, but it was all I knew that there was something major going on, you know, at that four or five around voting. But I got my no as I got more and more educated and looking at the numbers and everything and just did not believe that one vote would make a difference. But what I've also found out and what I tried to explain to this young lady was it's not only your vote, but you have an influence of people. When you go voting, you put that little sticker on and say, I voted, that can influence the people in your circle, whether it's your neighbors or your friends, to go out and make sure they vote. And you can get on the phone and call people and get them to vote, or you can go take somebody to the polls, particularly if it's somebody that's senior or disabilities and they need help. But there's all kinds of things that one can get to do to get more people out to vote. And I can't say how important that is. I don't know. You've talked about it already, whether it's broadband, whatever the issue is, whatever the issue is. So you majored in this political stuff, but let me – I have it that the government taxes me and you and that young lady and everybody else out. We pay taxes. We pay city taxes. We pay state taxes. We pay federal taxes, income taxes. We pay property taxes. We pay all of these different taxes. The politicians that we elect say where that money goes. Mm-hmm. We pay the taxes. They collect it. IRS is really good at collecting money. They collect the money. And then those politicians sit at the table, okay, and they decide that for every dollar I give them, whether I do it joyfully or reluctantly, but every dollar they collect from me, they decide where that dollar goes. Does it go to the military? Does it go to foreign folk? 
does it go to housing or to daycare centers or to education? They decide. Does it go to rural band? Okay. Broadband, rather, in rural areas. Mm -hmm. Where does this money go? And so we have a chance to decide who those politicians will be, and they get to tell us before the election what is important to them, and we get to tell them what's important to us. So it, it, it works if we are involved and if we vote and we get involved. And so I really appreciate what you're doing. So what, what's that landscape like to you? Is that the way you see it and what you've trained? Because I didn't do political science. Or yeah. I actually, I think that's another really great way to, to focus the conversation is by saying, you know, we're giving them this money and why not also tell them how you want to spend the money, right? <laughs> right. And so, yeah, I think you nailed it in, in that if you want your communities to thrive and succeed, you have to go to the polls. You have to vote. And being able to tell any elected official that, you know, saying this, the sentence, I'm a constituent and I vote. That means right there, when you're talking to an elected official, it's not a threat. It's basically just saying like, I'm engaged in this process and I care. And I wanna have a conversation with you about the community that you're representing. And I think, you know, back to this young lady that you're talking about where she says her vote doesn't matter. I mean, we hear it all the time. Um, and we also hear that they think, well, these elected officials, they don't care about what I have to say or they don't care about me. That's actually not true at all. Every elected official that you talk to, when you ask them that, they want to hear from their constituents and they want to hear how to spend your tax dollars or or, um, you know, how to vote on a certain issue. And so, again, it's all about that relationship. And I think if you can turn the conversation into a more relationship focus it might change the tide in, in voter turnout. I lived in Puerto Rico for a while, five years, and their turnout was huge. And around election time, there was all of this noise in the streets. I thought there was, you know, I know rioting or something. It was so much noise, but it was all around voting. It got so involved in voting. And later I found out, like uh, before the pandemic, there were 60 co-op, businesses in 54 schools from elementary schools to colleges in Puerto Rico. It's a lot of co-ops. And I wonder, I've never seen anything or research. I wonder if the, the amount of co-ops that are there is why they have such a huge turnout in their politics. And I don't remember the number. Let's say they had 75% turnout where in the U S and in the mainland U S we have, I don't know, do you know what the turnout is? Is it 60%? It's yeah. Some much lower number mm -hmm. in turnout. And if we could raise that number by 10%, if we could get 10% more Americans that are eligible to vote going out voting, it could turn every every election, every mm -hmm. election, and then get people yeah. that are elected that want to provide those the monies to help the people in this case in rural America, who, whoever those constituents are. And then NCB says for, it, they don't say under-resourced, but low-income communities, low-resource communities, providing income to those communities or providing these tax dollars to those communities so that people can flourish, that they can grow, have a hand up. I think it's so vitally important. 
I don't know any other better subject to talk about, and I really almost envy you for the work that you do of trying to change people's minds to get people out to vote and engage. You know, I love doing it. Um, You know, that's why I've taken on this role here at NRECA, and and I do think it's just so important. Um, And it's, it's, for the most part, it's just, it's so easy to really have your voice heard. And so, yeah, I, I love doing this. And I love engaging with the members on it and um, trying to change minds along the way is, is, is also, it's pretty fun and challenging. So what do you see for the future? We only have about a minute and a half to go. So how do you see the future in this, in this voter.coop and getting people out to vote? I think, you know, ultimately for the future for us, you know, really starting to engage with the younger audience, our young co-op members you know, whose parents are are paying the electricity bills now. But, you know, we have a whole youth program. I mean, we could talk for hours about all of this, but really the next step is getting the young people involved and and encouraging our youth um, members to register as soon as they can and start going to the polls as soon as they can, because once they do, they get excited and they, they see that it's part of the process and that their young voices are actually even more important than than, you know, folks like, you know, me and, and, and others. So that would, I would say is the future is, is the young voter. And you're getting out to those young voters now. So that's fantastic. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Anything that I can do or anytime you can get some of the young voters on the show to talk about that. I'd love to have that. I'd love to talk to them. Uh, it would yes. Be I would love that too. That would be fantastic. Let's plan it. Let's plan it. Let's make it, let's make it a date. Lord, thank you so very much. Uh, We're going to bring you some young voters here in the future. Everybody out there, we'll see you next Thursday. And we'd ask that you please live cooperatively and get out and vote. Fourteen fifty W O L, where information is power.